Welcome into episode 20 of the Stomp the Bus show. I am your host, Mark Harris, along with Colton Dodgson. And uh, we're coming after... What? 20 episodes? How do we keep getting renewed? (laughs) I know, yeah. uh, We're going to have to go back to the bargaining table with our uh, super... Super expensive media deal that we got. I want more money, Mark. Yeah. Can you speak up a little bit? You're kind of a little quiet. I said, I want more money, Mark. There we go. Don't pretend like you can't hear me. Yeah, I think so. All right. Um, Yeah, maybe we can get looped in with the the Pac-12 deal whenever that gets done. Don't make me me get the union involved. (laughs) I was hoping we could settle this like men. Yeah. That'd be that'd be great. Um, speaking of, well, not great. <laughs> ASU uh, officially will not be going to a bowl game after a twenty-eight to eighteen loss on the Palouse to Washington State in a game that was not even that close. Um, ASU now three and seven. Um, you know the weather. I know that we talked about it a bunch. The weather, it was pretty much just cold. There wasn't a bunch of rain or wind. It was just cold, but ASU really couldn't do much. Um, let Nakia Watson run 20 carries, 116 yards, three touchdowns. And Trenton Bourget was really bad in the first half, three of 10 for, and a pick. Emory Jones came in and did fine in the second half, but didn't ever really feel like they were going to win. So just a, Kind of what we expected, you know. So we're running the, the two quarterback offense now, which is fantastic. Um, yeah, yielding very positive results. Uh, it always yeah. does. I mean, I feel like this game, this season, as far as this season goes, the focus has been off of the games, at least from my perspective, since week three. Since Eastern Michigan. I, I really haven't been invested much in what's happening on the field, right? Because right? it's, it's inconsequential. It doesn't really matter what's going on on the field. Right. All of you guys are transfers. It's not like we're watching any stud freshman and what this is going to mean for the program, anything like that, right? Yeah. Um, we're we're kind of just keeping an eye on what each game and what happens on the field implies for what's going on off of the field, right? That's that's what our focus was yeah. with Guano for a long time. That ship has sailed. Uh, maybe not entirely, which we'll talk to and we'll, we'll speak to in just a little bit. But in terms of his head coaching candidacy, if that ship was ever um, away from the dock, it is very much back at the dock, if that makes sense. Or it has sunk altogether. His, if okay. Ship, if that ship was ever at sea, if that was ever a discussion that was going to be had, Sean right. O'Connor being the head coach, I mean, we talked about it. Was there anybody else considering it beyond just um, underpaid podcasters? Who's to say? I think that, people were talking that's about where my analogy was going, Mark. The, what I'm trying to say is the ship has sunk, right? But there may be a lifeboat for Sean O'Connor. Did I rescue the analogy? I think so. I think okay. so. Uh, right. Yeah, we'll, we'll we'll get into that uh, here in a few minutes. But I do want to talk about just I, I know uh, you know you don't really care about the games and 
I don't care about them too much, but I in, in your with your Sean Guano point, and we talked about this at the time, was the Stanford game. You had to win that Stanford game because we baked in the fact that you had to face a tough UCLA team at home and go on the road to play Wazoo. If ASU were four and six right now instead of three and seven, it would obviously, you know, still be not a great season and everything and whatever. And it would still be tough to make a bowl game, but you know, you have a home game this week and then you're on the road at U of A. It's like, it'll be tough, but it, it would still be, you know, theoretically possible. Obviously now that's no longer possible. Um, and full disclosure, I wasn't able to watch most of the Wazoo game. I did see uh, Jalen Conyers had a great 50-yard touchdown running catch. Um, I hope that he stays. We'll, we'll see. He's already transferred once before. So that maybe that means he'll be less likely to transfer again. I don't know. It sucks um, that every positive thing we say about a player on this team is followed by, I hope that he stays. I know. I know. That's the state of where That's, it's at right now. You, yeah. you have to know, like, there's literally nothing positive that you can look at because it's like, oh, this player, this guy's starting to develop. That just means he's going to be able to transfer. Oh, this guy is, you know, the the only positive is we talked about him already, but Valaday, and he's probably playing himself onto at the very least an invite to a training camp. Right. Like, but that was going to happen anyway. Right, right. right. Um, so it's just like, what is there to be excited about? Well, I found myself, I found myself looking at uh, Max Preps today, looking at the class of 2023 and the commits that ASU has secured for the class of 23. Like they're six. dead last. They're dead last in the Pac-12. Yeah. Um, it is in the not, Power Five. It's yeah. It's not going to be good. No. No, it's it, look. We know. Look, I mean, we like for me, like we just got to ride through this season. Maybe you beat U of A, maybe you don't. But in terms of one thing that was like, I was like, oh, this could be good. Looking into the future was Borget because he had put, he had played well when given the opportunities previous to this game, and that did not happen. <laughs> this game, he went three of ten, a pick. Um, offense was terrible. They moved the ball in the second half with Emory Jones. Um, but well, it looked like you were running the offense out there, Mark. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> Borgay and I probably have the same level of arm strength. He's, he just probably knows where to put it better than I do, but, uh, yeah, you got, you got a longer wind up. Yeah. He probably has a better release than I do as yeah. well. Uh, but he was a, someone where was like, okay, if he can like catch fire through the second half of the season and just even look good in losses, then that that is something that's like mildly encouraging entering into the next year because I don't think Borgay is going to have like this huge transfer market. Um, maybe he would, I don't know, but uh, yeah, it's just it's tough. And you know, the next game we have coming in at the beginning of the year, it looked like a, a somewhat manageable win, but Oregon State is um, seven and three, and they're the twenty third ranked team in the college football playoff. And Oregon State is just a, kind of just a solid team that beats who they're supposed to beat. You know, their only losses this year are against USC at home, on the road at Utah, and at Washington, where they lost. And and, and they lost to UW and USC in th- three points in both of those games. So 
they're just a they're just a really good team. They haven't they haven't stubbed their foot and had a dumb loss. You know that does happen to teams in Tempe. Just ask Washington. But um, it it I mean Oregon State runs the ball really well. ASU doesn't do a good job stopping the run. It's just probably going to be you know a bloodbath. And so um, we'll see what happens. But I'm not super encouraged. ASU will be able to finish off this season with a plucky win at home. Yeah, I'm with you, Mark. Good analysis. But yeah, I mean, it's I mean, honestly like that's where we're at with the ASU team, you know? Like, I don't, I'm like, not Yeah, what say. else do you say? No, ex- ex- yeah, no, I know, exactly. And now you have guys, uh, like, I think Ladarius Henderson has been injured for a bit. Um, and I mean, I wouldn't see him coming back now because he's going to, uh, he's going to like one of the, you know, like the East-West Bowls at the end of the year that uh, players go to. Um, I'm looking up exactly which one it is. But he's pro- he probably played his last game as a Sun Devil, um, and he's one of our better players. He's probably, like, one of the few players on this team to have, like, a guaranteed shot to get drafted this next year because he uh, – and he'll be gone. I mean, granted, he's, you know, a left guard, doesn't – you know, fundamentally change a bunch of stuff, but uh, it's just one more good player that won't, 100% won't be there. Or not 100%, but uh, likely won't be there. So the East-West Shrine Bowl, that's what it is. So There you go. Um, and Kyle Soelli also accepted an invite. Um, I know that he had been, he's been injured for a little bit. We'll see if he comes back. I could see someone like him wanting to play for the U of A game, but – um, we'll see when it comes to that. So it's just, it's, uh, we're in death march territory right now. <laughs> like, this is just a slog to get to the end of the year, you know? Yes, and it's just a slog to get to, um, we're kind of in this weird, like, purgatory where it's like there's, there's nothing, like, what is next? We don't even know what's coming next. And that, I mean, obviously the rumors are starting to ramp up and everything, and it looks promising. It looks like, the hire that's rumored to be picking up steam could be um, a pretty effective one and with, with local ties and maybe that some, I mean, we've talked about reemphasizing uh, local recruiting quite a bit. So maybe that's something that, that uh, right. could pick up steam, but yeah, I don't know. I mean, based on what we've seen so far, um, it looks like things are starting to very, very, um, um, what's the word I'm like? Subtly. There we go. Very subtly trend in the right direction. Yeah. So uh, it's, you know, we have this Oregon State game. Hopefully ASU looks competitive and doesn't totally just no show. Um, that would be really disappointing. But what Colton was alluding to is a lot of these rumors about Oregon offensive coordinator Kenny Dillingham potentially getting the head football coaching job. And my thing is, like, I, 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 who knows what's going to happen, but I'm just glad that there just seems to be a lot of rumors rumors about it and rumors coming from, like, legit sources, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Seeing this um, start to, to pick up steam. It's one of those things where you're, you're looking at all of the, um, the, the details and kind of reading about, 
uh, Kenny Dillingham's background and all of these things. And you're like, this makes too much sense. So it's probably not going to happen. That's usually how these things work. The things that seem, uh, uh, seamless, right? Yeah. Things that make the most sense rarely seem to happen. And that rare instance, do things go that way? Because you, you, you realize that in sports, um, whoever is making the decisions is desperate to prove that they're the smartest person in the room and they want to be like, Especially at ASU. Oh yeah, my the fans know nothing. We have to go off the grid here to show yeah. them that we know more than them. But it's like sometimes the layup higher is the right higher, and this oh. looks like the layup higher. Like, right. And there's, here's there's, the other thing: if, if if ASU hires Kenny Dillingham, and it just what for whatever reason it just doesn't work out, it just turns out that he's just not a good coach. I would be okay with that because at least you were making a hire that made sense. Yeah. And if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. Like when Nebraska hired Scott Frost, it didn't work out. But like, what were they supposed to do when he came, had that season, uh, the undefeated UCF year? Like, are they just supposed to be like, oh, let's not hire him because he may be bad? It's like, no, like hire him and see, see where the chips fall, you know? Yeah, you have to take those swings on the potential and the potential based on the fit with your program. And this, yes. this fit seems like a seamless fit, right? I mean, he's, he's literally, he's an alum. He's been a GA here. Grad, one, yeah. of the, one of the prominent high school football programs in the state of Arizona. He has uh, like, and, and he, he's been coaching since he, and then we, we talked about this before, but he's been coaching since he was like 18. And like, that makes up for the fact that he's like, I think he's like 33. Like, that makes up for the fact that he doesn't have, as much experience as, or he doesn't have the age experience that people think, but he has the actual experience. 33 is like a prime age. Like that is, that is a guy that you can build a program around. Yes. Yes. And, and like, people, if, if they had her doing him, people would be so happy. And, and guess what that means? More NIL money flowing in. More. Yeah attention from recruits because this this dude has been recruiting Arizona at other places. He's been recruiting here when he was at Memphis, when he was at Auburn, FSU, Oregon. Like and the thing is too, you, you in this new era of transfer portals and yes. all of these other things, you see guys who commit to play for a coach flip at a moment's notice like Yes. Yes. Constantly. I'm not saying it's happening this year, but I mean, even if you go, I'm trying to pull it up real quick, but even if you go to like the 247 uh, sports, like class of 2024 and look at Arizona recruits who are committed to Oregon. Yeah. Offensive players committed to go play at Oregon. And then they see Oregon's offensive coordinator is now coaching at ASU in their backyard. It just makes things more interesting. I'm not saying he's going to come in and immediately start flipping all of these prominent recruits. Oh, yeah, you're right. ASU is at least something they maybe think about twice instead of just laughing off like they're doing right now. Or, and a lot of time, um, Ralph Amston, who covers ASU, he's, he basically, he said a lot of ASU's recruiting process in terms of Arizona kids is just getting in on them way late after mm-hmm. a bunch of other schools have. And so, like, if you're a kid who's getting recruited by a bunch of other Power 5 schools and then ASU comes in at the end once, like, oh, hey, you know, you should come here just because we're nearby. It's like, no, you can't just sell over near, oh, we, you know, we're a 15-minute drive from 
your mom's house. Like, no, dude. Like, ugh. that's what they like. Like, they just think they're so, so much better. Like, ASU can't operate with this mindset of like, oh, we're just above everyone else and yada yada. Like, clearly, that's not the case. Right. Um, I mean, even if you just look at the top twenty-three players in the or the top players in the twenty twenty-three class. Um, I mean, Dante Moore, Oregon. Uh, yeah, I feel like he's and, probably not coming. <laughs> no, I mean, but I'm, yeah. I'm just looking at these guys who are, like, committed to play offense at Oregon. And like I said, I'm not saying he's going to come in and flip all of these guys. But I'm saying, like, down the line, as he starts to get established, I mean, he's he's recruiting players to come play for him at Oregon. And obviously this example is a little more applicable for, for Arizona players. Um, but right here, this is what I was trying to – well, these are both defensive guys. Never mind. Um, but, I mean, even the class of 2023, Oregon is all over the place. So it's it's something – and I, I know that Oregon is – obviously, it's a, a Pac-12 school. It's got prominent roots in, in Arizona. I mean, recruiting Arizona, things like that. So I guess what I'm trying to say is this would be a pretty seamless fit, and especially in this era of um, the transfer portal, I mean, coming in and just – kind of flipping your approach to I was recruiting you at Oregon. This is what I'm going to do here. Come be a part of building this with me, that sort of thing. Right. Uh, could prove to be effective. But I mean, well, I'm, and the I'm, other thing with Dillingham is like, it's not like he's just only a good recruiter in Arizona. Like this dude is a, like he's, he's come up in the 2010s of college football where recruiting is become so important. And you look right. at Georgia as the top example of that. Um, he understands how the game, like how to recruit, unlike our last staff or most of our last staff anyway, and that's important. Like he, he's and he, he can relate to kids. He's he's also lived in a lot of different areas in the in, of the country since leaving ASU. So building recruiting connections there, uh, I guess mostly in the South. Um, and the other thing with Dillingham is that. Because he's an offensive guy, I think there might be guys that transfer in, you know, because of that. Because they know, oh, this guy will be able to get me open or whatever. Uh, to like, kind of not similar to what happened at USC last year, but a, like a, a poor man's version of that, you know. Um, yeah, and yeah. and he might be able to keep a lot of the offensive guys on our team because they'll be like, oh, like I'm going to be in this offense next year, you know. Mm-hmm. Like that's kind of what happened at. Uh, UW, the school that I grew up rooting for, you know, they had a terrible season last year, just like we're having now. They hire Kalen DeBoer. Granted, Kalen DeBoer had a lot more coach, head coaching experience than Kenny Dillingham, so it's not a perfect comparison. But uh, he comes in, and guess what? Like, all all the great wide receivers watched as Roma Dunze, Jalen McMillan, you saw him in the Oregon game, they could have easily left. But they stayed because guess what? This guy has a great offense. I'll be able to get open, and that'll help me get to the NFL better than being the third wide receiver on Alabama or whatever. So I think that's a possible um, outcome of Dillingham being here when it comes to guys like Jalen Conyers, Elijah Badger, uh, all these guys that have other options. So Granted, if we get slammed by the NCAA, that could totally throw this out the window, and that's still a variable. But um, it's just the thing with Dillingham that just makes him so – it just such, like on paper, it's just such an obvious and easy move to make to hiring him. He has the Arizona high school connections. He's an offensive guy. 
He's young. Like, <laughs> that's what we've been talking about. He's basically the opposite of Herm Edwards, you know. Right, right. It, it makes too much sense. And and the thing that – um. Should, I mean, since we're talking about recruiting in state and all of the implications that come with that, uh, his willingness to possibly keep Iguano on staff or something yep. that he's going to try to do, yep. uh, based on that tweet from, uh, Chile. Is that, is that what he goes by, Chile? Just Chile, yeah. So what we're talking about right now is just Chile, who is a, uh, he, he, he mainly covers, uh, high school football in Arizona. Um, works for Devil's Digest. Um, he tweeted on Monday, I believe. Um, he tweeted, quote, I'm hearing if Oregon OC Kenny Dillingham is the next head coach at ASU, he'll do everything possible to keep current interim head coach Sean Aguano on his staff. That would be huge. I feel like reading this tweet, it feels like it's Dillingham reaching out to Chile. Um, because how else, like, how would an inside ASU source be like, oh, Dillingham would definitely keep Iguano? Like, that would have to be Dillingham's decision, right? right. So who knows what that means. But yeah, I, we, I guess to me that means, like, Iguano wants – I mean, well, Iguano does want the job. But Dillingham wants the job. Like, and if yeah, you're right, ASU right now, we need people who want to be here, you know? And actually, like, think of ASU – more than just, like, being a mid-tier Power 5 program, you know? Like, if you're Herm Edwards, what's the difference in your mind between ASU and Minnesota or North Carolina State or Mississippi State or what, whatever it is? You're just run-of-the-mill 7-5 and five Power 5 school like ASU has been. Um, but if you're Kenny Dillingham, you're like, okay, like, I went here. So he, he might just, you know, want him to be good just because he, you know, went to school here. He's from here and has a lot of connections to the Scottsdale booster people. I, I read that somewhere. So it's like, it's just so, you mentioned it earlier, it's just so obvious. And that's what scares the living poop out of me because wow. I, I just can't see, I just feel like Michael Crow, whoever's making the decision, Michael Crow, Ray Anderson, I know they did hire a, uh, whatever, like one of the coaches, search firms, consulting firms, whatever. Um, so that'll have input on it. But whoever makes the decision, whether it's Michael Crow, it's probably won't be Ray Anderson making the final decision. So I'm just going to say Crow. If he just goes big brain again and uh, it's going to be tough, it's just going to be really tough for me. So and maybe he'll hire someone else that's better than Dillingham, you know. I mean, it's not like Dillingham's the only choice here, but. Yeah, I mean, I hope he's the only choice. I mean, I don't know who else would make more sense. We've already talked about it ad nauseum, but it, it seems like going back to somebody who knows what this, and and like you said, somebody who wants to be here. I mean, it's his alma mater. It's uh, It was his first college coaching job, if I'm not mistaken, right, under Todd Graham. Yeah, yeah. So to get back to where he started and, like, be the guy, that's got to be an opportunity. Obviously, that's an opportunity that nobody else has, you know? Like, that's right. an opportunity unique to him. Right. Um, so it, it just – and I don't know why anybody making this decision would pass that sort of connection up. That's a connection that 
is so valuable that it will sort of reflect on the job and make him, you know, it might lead to a pride in this job and a pride in what he's going to try to accomplish that you're, mm-hmm. you might not find in another candidate. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, having a guano on staff, I mean, that would be, obviously you wouldn't be, you probably wouldn't be able to keep the Dillingham Aguano combo, you know, together forever. But even if it's like two years of uh, Dillingham as, as coach and Aguano as OC, that's going to be, that would be just killer in terms of high school recruiting. I mean, right. absolutely killer. You see some of these coaches like uh, Jason Mons, who's the head coach of Saguaro. I see him on Twitter, like quote tweeting tweets about Dillingham and Aguano being like, oh, like with like thumbs up emojis and stuff like that. It's like, Michael Curl, look at that tweet and just understand why that's important. And uh, um, yeah. I mean, Arizona too is like it's becoming a pretty prominent, and I mean, it, it always has been, but like one of those. It, I, I would yeah. say like the top ten pipeline of high school talent, right? Like, it, okay, maybe it's not right now, but it will be. Just it, if not, just because of all the people that have moved to Arizona, like, right, right. I mean. Exactly, and the number one recruit in the country is next season. Not obviously not making any implication there, but just alluding. Dylan Viola, the guy from Chandler. Yeah, yeah. yeah, just alluding to right, right. The 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 caliber of players that come out of Arizona. It's something that you need to yes redirect your focus on. And who better to do it than that duo? If yeah, Aguano stays, and I don't know why he wouldn't. Right. Well, especially if he's getting elevated to OC as well. Because even just from selfishly, as if you're a guano, if you get the OC job, you have two, you have even one good year, then you could be a power five head coach, you know. So I don't think a guano is going to be like, oh, I would only be a power five head coach at Arizona State. Like, I feel like that's not how people work for the most part. But, um, yeah, I mean, it, it would be. I mean, look, it may not work like like Dillingham. He's a he's never been a head coach before so that's obviously an issue but that's that's not hiring someone because they haven't been a head coach before is just a bad practice like guess who else hasn't been a head coach before Dan Lanning at Oregon you know Lincoln Riley wasn't a head coach before he got elevated at Oklahoma like yeah I think serving as a prominent coordinator that's kind of the the uh What's the word I'm looking for? The progression. Right. Kind of the progression, right? Serving as a prominent coordinator, it's kind of like, okay, your next shot is to be the guy. That's, that's where you go from here. And, uh, I mean, I, you're right. Like, you're not going to hire somebody because they don't have experience. Well, how are they going to get that experience? Like, right. It's, and it we are like, not in a position at to At a certain be... point, you have to take a chance on someone. Yes. And we're not again. We are not in a position to be like turning turning people down either. Right. You know. So I hope I I hope that either Iguana. I mean, D- Dillingham gets hired and keeps Iguano, or hey, you know what, Michael Crow? Maybe you make a hire that's just better than that. And I'd be fine with that too. Like ultimately, I just want the best for ASU football. It doesn't have to be with any one specific guy, but. Just from where we are right now on November 17th, it just feels like a very just obvious course of action to take. And it would get the NIL money rolling in. 
And that is so important. No one is going to – if you hire some boring – I don't even know who it would be. Bill O'Brien. If he hires Bill a Bill O'Brien from Alabama, who, by the way, is having one of their worst offensive seasons in years despite having Bryce Young. I'd like to point that out. Um, although, granted, they don't have, like, a, a ton of first-round wide receivers like usual. But anyway, if they hire a boring, boring blank coach like Bill O'Brien or whatever – you can't run an offense without elite talent. Right. That's the and point, it, right? Yeah. Like he, but anyway, my, my point is just the, the, the boring nature of someone like that is not going to get a bunch of donors pouring money into the NIL collective, you know? So that has, that should be considered in this whole process. Um, and you know what? Look, maybe they hire, you mentioned Jamie Chadwell. I'd be perfectly fine with that. Or, I've seen the one name I've seen kind of just bandied around on social media that I could totally see happening is a uh, Bronco Mendenhall. And he was at a uh, BYU for a while and then Virginia. Um, and they went to an orange bowl and that's, that's pretty tough to do at Virginia, but I wouldn't be that excited about it, but I also would not be totally against it either. Did you say meandering about bandied about what is bandied about? Uh, just like brought up. Oh, yeah. I didn't, I didn't expect to come on this show and learn something. Well. You surprise me every day, Marcus. Yeah. Well, hey, let's wrap up this, and hopefully we are not surprised by ASU's future head coaching decision when they hire Kenny Dillingham shortly after the U of A game at the end of the year. That would be sweet. Um if it's not him, I want it to be you. I would be a very bad head coach. But um, any final thoughts as we wrap up episode 20? Um, not necessarily, Mark. I know this one was short and sweet, but it's always a pleasure to be here with you. Our 20th episode. Um, right. This is this – is, we're building the foundation here. We're building a culture um, on this show, and that's that's right. what we aim to do from the beginning. We wanted to be a part of something special, me and you. Uh, that's what we both said to each other, and then I scratched your beard and said I'd come aboard. <laughs> it went down exactly like that, folks. All right, well, we are on the Dillingham train. Hopefully the train arrives in Tempe in about two weeks. All right, that's the end of Episode 20. Goodbye, and go Devils.